0: May God speak to you through today's message from Senior Pastor Mike McGowan. Morning. My name is Mike McGowan. I'm the pastor here at Parkway Fellowship. I'm glad you made it today because today we're in the middle message of our series called Legends. Um, Now, you might not know this about me, but I am notoriously cheap, okay? Uh, Yeah, Uh, when Amy and I first got married, we had a little disagreement about where we would set our thermostat in the summer months, okay, because, you know, we're newly married, we're watching our pennies, that kind of thing, and so um, Amy wanted to set it at 75. I wanted to set it at 80. I told her that our bodies would adjust, okay, so we compromised, and we set it at 80. So uh, I promise we did. In fact, our house was so hot that when my in-laws would come visit us, they would hand me money and beg me to let them turn it down. No lie, not exaggerate. In fact, that summer, uh, the summer that Amy got pregnant with our first baby, we still had it on 80, okay? And uh, that whole summer while she was pregnant, um, we had some friends of ours that would come over to our house and it begins over, they put a jar on our kitchen counter, and every month they would come by and put money in it so that I would let her turn it down to 78. I know, right? I know. In fact, Amy would watch nature shows about penguins just so she could think cold thoughts, you know? Look, I mean, but look, here's the deal. I, I didn't keep it at eighty because like I liked it that way. I mean, I actually preferred it a little colder. But I it, my conscience told me that it was my responsibility to keep our family financially sound. And hey, if that meant that we kept the house a little bit warmer, then so be it. I mean, I just let my conscience be my guide. And so I chose my conscience over the comfort of my pregnant wife to the point where people were making donations. And it all goes back to this, you know, widely accepted legend of let your conscience be your guide. You see, and uh, we use that basically to give ourselves permission to do things that normally would really not be a wise or smart idea. I mean, you know, and look, and it's all funny when we're talking about how cheap I am and setting the thermostat to something like ridiculously high temperature, that kind of thing. But it's a different matter. When someone decides to walk out on their marriage or walk out on their kids because they say that they're in love with someone else and they have a clear conscience because surely God just wants them to be happy. It's an entirely different matter when someone has no intention of keeping their word and doesn't mind breaking a law or two just to get the deal done or to close the sale because, you know, hey, I mean, that's how business gets done nowadays. Or what about the person that's a functional alcoholic or a recreational pot smoker who, is, who will boldly defend their right to relax And hide behind the fact that, like, well, you know what, I'm just, I'm not hurting anybody. And all the while, they're destroying their marriage, their family, their career, and dragging down to everybody around them that's close to them. You know? Or, you know, what about the person that, or what about the Christian couple who decides that God's standards for sexual purity are so archaic That just really aren't practical, especially if they've been married before, that they decide, you know what, we're going to do whatever really we want to do because it's not just widely accepted, but you know, also living together before you get married, you know it just makes plain good sense. I've known Christians, good God-friendly Christians, that have made all of those decisions at some point in time in life. And all of them have basically said, you know what? I have a clear conscience about it despite going against god's clearly revealed standards all right so like what's the deal i mean doesn't god give me my conscience i mean isn't guiding me isn't that what my conscience is good for well actually no that's not what it's good for. And that's not even what it was meant for. So, go ahead and pull out your message notes. What does God say my conscience is good for? Well, here's your first fill in the morning. My conscience is good to warn me, but not to guide me. My conscience is good to warn me, not to guide me. I want you to look at these first couple of verses. Um, let me give you the background. David, same guy who killed Goliath, okay, is not yet king. In fact, he is on the run from Saul, the guy who is currently king, because Saul is trying to kill him, okay? And so while he's hunting David, Saul decides to go into a cave to, you know, relieve himself because, you know, apparently it's been like a really long chariot ride. Um, But what he doesn't know is that David and his men are in the back of the cave, And so David's men urged him, like, hey, now's your chance. Sneak up and kill Saul. But instead, David decides to sneak up behind Saul and cut off the corner of his robe. You know the part song? Cut off the corner of his robe without him knowing because he's going to show it to him later to say, hey, Saul, I had the chance to kill you, but I didn't do it. But now look what the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 24. Check it out. It says, afterward, after he cut off the little piece of his robe, David was conscience stricken. Circle that conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him. For he is the anointed of the Lord. David knew That he should not raise his hand against God's appointed leader, even to the point of just cutting off a little corner of his robe. And his conscience was guilt ridden. So look, David's conscience was a good warning device when he did something wrong. But here's the problem. Our conscience only tells us when we've done something wrong. It doesn't guide us to know right from wrong. Look at this next verse. Look what the apostle Paul says. In 1 Corinthians 4, four. he says this. He says, my conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. Underline that part. But that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. What? What? All right, seriously? I mean, Paul, one of the greatest people of all time to ever follow Christ, he wrote more of the New Testament than any other single person. He's saying that he's got a clear conscience, but that doesn't make him innocent. Why? Because he knows that the God-given purpose of a conscience is not to tell him right from wrong, but to warn him when he violates right from wrong. That's what he's saying. And and who is it that decides our standard of right and wrong? We do. We do. We decide what standards we're going to follow. Now look, don't misunderstand. For the Christ follower, the standard of right and wrong is supposed to be the Bible. This is supposed to be the standard of right and wrong. But some Christ followers choose to obey parts of the Bible. Honestly, they just flat out ignore other parts. The parts they ignore, they think, well, you know what? that's just old-fashioned, or, you know, that's just not very practical, or I just don't think that's really going to really work out for me, or that's not going to work in our day and age. And so they just choose to ignore those parts. And so in that sense, they have set their own standard for what is right and what is wrong. And that, that's what we're getting at here. Look, and, and their consciences at that point only bother them when they violate their standard for what they have set what's right and wrong. And Paul, Paul understands that. He understands all this. And so he says he doesn't even trust his own conscience to determine right and wrong. So even if he has a clear conscience, like, I mean, that doesn't necessarily make me innocent. That's what he's saying there. Because he knows that conscience is a terrible guide. But it's a great warning device. This is why this whole idea of, like, let your conscience be your guide is such a terrible lie. Because our conscience was never intended by God to be our guide to determine what's right and wrong. It was intended to warn us when we violate that standard of right and wrong. Okay. Well, like now what do I do? So what's the deal? Well, there's a couple of things that you can do. Here's the first Number one, I need to ask God to soften my conscience where it's been calloused. I need to ask God to soften my conscience where it's been calloused. Look at this next verse. In uh, 1 Timothy 4, first three verses, the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, by the way. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars. And underline the last part whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. These people have said, it said, the Bible says that their consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. What does that mean? It means that they have violated their conscience so many times that they no longer feel anything when they do something wrong. And so they've become hypocritical liars. Pretending to follow God. They're not following God. Because their consciences have been totally seared. Their consciences have been calloused. Look, when you ignore your conscience, it becomes calloused. Uh, like it's been seared with a hot iron. It becomes calloused to it. You become calloused to its warnings. I mean, come on. I mean, you know this to be true. In fact, probably everybody in this room remembers one time when you did something and you knew it was wrong when you did it. And after it was over, you were guilt-stricken. I mean, you had a guilty conscience. But the next time you did it, you felt a little bit less guilty. And the next time you did it, you felt even a little bit less guilty until finally, you didn't feel guilty at all. That's the scenario. I mean, because what's changed? Your conscience, it became seared as with a hot iron. It became callous because when you repeatedly ignore your conscience, God says that your conscience becomes callous to the point where You don't even feel it any longer. For example, men, the first time you looked at pornography, man, you were probably conscience stricken. Your conscience probably went off like a siren. But the more you looked at it, the less your conscience bothered you until the point where just doesn't bother you anymore. It just doesn't affect you anymore. And the only time you feel guilty is when someone comes along, like maybe in a sermon, and holds up that standard of right or wrong, and that fresh look at that standard brings back that guilty feeling for just a few moments. And here's the deal. If you don't change and adjust your life to that standard, do you know what happens? Your conscience becomes calloused even more. That callous gets harder, not softer, if you don't make that kind of a change. And so, you know, for us, you know, whether it's lying or talking about other people when they're not around or daydreaming about someone that you're not married to or sleeping with someone that you're not married to or cursing or breaking promises or losing your temper or drinking too much, you know, I mean, whatever it is, When you've done it so much that you just don't feel that bad about it anymore. Your conscience has become calloused. It's become calloused. Now for the Christ follower. Let me say this for a second. The Holy Spirit helps you. Because you. You have set yourself to your own standard of right and wrong. But the Holy Spirit is set to God's standard of right and wrong. And so. When you violate, as a Christ Father, when you violate one of God's standards, the Holy Spirit pricks your conscience. But if you don't adjust your life and make a change to move towards God's standard, do you know what happens? You quench the Holy Spirit in your life to the point where you won't hear Him anymore. That he, you won't feel it when he pricks your conscience because it's become so calloused. So what do you do? The first thing you do is you pray. You pray. You pray and you beg God to remove that callous, to soften your heart again, to let you feel again so that you can feel the holy spirit and hear the holy spirit and you beg god to do that and look it might you might have to pray that kind of a prayer every day for a week maybe even two but you beg god to do it and you know how you can tell when that con- when that callus has been removed or is being shaved off and being removed it's when you get close to violating that standard You feel it again. You feel that little twinge of guilt. You can feel your conscience. You can feel the Holy Spirit Spirit pricking your conscience to remind you. "Ah." And if at that point it's critical that you readjust your life to fit that standard. It's crucial in that moment that you do that. And you basically, you pray until you feel again. You pray until, until it breaks your heart again to violate that kind of a standard. But simultaneously, at the same time, you have to do a second thing, okay? Number two is this. I need to readjust my standard of right and wrong to match the biblical standard i got to readjust my standard of right and wrong to, read, to match the biblical standard. I mean, see, part of our problem is that it very well might be that our standard of right and wrong has moved away from the biblical standard, or maybe it never matched the biblical standard to begin with. All right? Um, and so, remember, your conscience doesn't set the standard. It just warns you when you violate it. All right? Look at this next scripture in Acts 24. It says, here's the, the writer. He says this. He says, and I want you to underline this whole first part of the verse. I believe everything that agrees with the law and what's written in the prophets. He's saying he believes everything that's written in the Bible. That's what he's saying. The law and the prophets, is just another way of saying the Bible. Verse 16. So I strive to always, and which is circle this part, keep my conscience clear before God and man. What's he saying here? He's saying with the first part, the part I had you underline. He's saying, "Look, I have readjusted my life to the Bible. That every time I read the Bible, when I see something in it that my life doesn't line up with, man, I change me. I don't spend my time justifying and rationalizing what I'm doing and trying to, you know, justify and rationalize away the Bible. Because anytime you spend moments justifying and rationalizing all you're doing. Is callousing over your conscience because you know you're doing something wrong, you're just justifying it. So you're callousing yourself at that point. So he's saying that he ju- uh, adjusts himself, his standard of right and wrong, to the Bible. And once he makes that type of an adjustment, he does everything he can to live clear with God. And with anybody who he's offended. That's what he's saying. That's what he's getting at here. Okay. That's amazing. I mean like. That's huge. And maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe you need to make a commitment. Say you know what. Every time I read the Bible. Or whenever I read the Bible. If I see an area of my life that doesn't fit this. Then I'm going to readjust my life. To fit the Bible. And not rationalize or justify or just ignore the Bible because I already like my life. Now, honestly, you'd think that every Christ follower would do that, wouldn't you? I mean, you'd think that that would be the standard for every Christian. That when they come across parts of the Bible that their life doesn't match up with, that they would say, yep, I need to make that change, but they don't. And do you know why they don't? Because... When they read part of the Bible that their life doesn't match up with, they, here's what they say. They go, oh, man, you know what? That is such a good idea. Everybody should do that. The world would be a better place if everybody did that. But they themselves don't do it. Do You know why? It's because this. It's because when you generalize about the world, you don't personalize about yourself. Let me say it again. When you generalize about the world, you don't personalize about yourself. And so it never really filters down into your own personal life. It's just something, yeah, you know what, the whole world, everybody should do that. I mean, have you ever done that? Have you ever been in this room and we've read something or we've said something or, you know, God's spoken about something and you said to yourself, you're like, oh, man, that's right, everybody should do that but you're not doing it? Or maybe you're only like half-heartedly doing it? Let me give you a couple examples, you know, just in case you're not feeling convicted enough this morning about lots of other things. Um, let, let's, let's just talk about, for a second, let's just talk about reading your Bible, okay? Let's talk about that. You know, God asks us to read the Bible every day, and reading the Bible is something that everyone should do, and no one is above reading the Bible. And in, 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 in the example we're going to look at no one is above reading it, including the king. And so look what God says, even to the king about reading the Bible. In Deuteronomy 17:19 it says, he, that's talking about the king, He is to read it all the days of his life, so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees. Now I mean, we'd all agree. Everybody in the world would be better off if they read their Bible every day, right? But have you made a commitment to read your Bible every day? And when you don't read it, does your conscience bother you? Or do you just treat it like a chore? That you just, oh, I I, I skipped doing that today, like making up your bed. God, I didn't make up my bed today. Oh, I'll to do it tomorrow. Do you treat it like that? I I, I mean, look. When you generalize about the world and you don't personalize about yourself, you tend not to do it. So you have to make this commitment for yourself. I mean, how in the world are you going to realign your life with the Bible if you're not even reading the Bible, right? Make sense? All right, let's talk about another one. Here's another one. Let's talk about tithing. Tithing is just simply giving the first 10% of your income to God every single time you get paid. That's all it is. And look what the Bible says in um, Malachi 3.10. The Bible says this, says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. He's talking about the storehouse of the temple, the storehouse of the church. That there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. And, And some people think, oh, yeah, man. People should tithe, absolutely. I mean, think about all the good the church could do in the world if everybody did this. And God will provide for those people who tithe. But in reality, you don't trust God with 10%. But those people who say that, they don't trust God with 10% of their income. They don't trust that God's going to provide for them. And some people, they give, but they don't tithe. They don't give that full 10%. So you know what? Let me do this. I like to do this um, about once a year. About once a year, I like to give what I call a tithe challenge. And here it is. Because I absolutely believe God's word, that when God says, test me in this, that he'll provide for you, that if you will take him at his word and you will test him, he will provide. So here's the tithe challenge. And that's this. If you will tithe to this church, if you will tithe, that is... 10% of your income, not 8%, not 9%, not 9.9%, 10% of your income every time you get paid if you'll give it to God and you'll do that for three months. At the end of three months if you can tell me that your life is not better off, I'll refund every penny, no questions asked. Money back guarantee baby! It's God's promise. I believe it enough to offer you the challenge. Do you believe it enough to take it? Three months. 10%. And if at the end of three months you don't believe that your life is better off in whatever capacity then I'll refund your money. No questions asked. Would you take that challenge? Because look the question is Is, you know, are you willing to adjust your own standards of right and wrong basically to God's standard? And this whole idea of, you know, let your conscience be your guide. That's a terrible way to live. Because your conscience is never intended to be a guide. It's intended to be a warning device when you violate the standards of right and wrong that you've adopted for your life. And for the Christ follower, this is to be the standard. And if you and I would adopt this standard that every time we read it, if there's something in our life that doesn't match up with this, if we would make the adjustments in our life to match this instead of trying to justify or rationalize or explain away or to, you know, um, discount this. If we would make uh, just our lives to match this, you know what will happen? It'll bring a whole lot more freedom to your life. You could be free of some addictions or some habits that you have been a slave to for who knows how many decades. It could, it could bring such a sense of relief to a guilty conscience. It, it, it could bring you to the point where you can feel God working in your heart and life again. Because he's removed that callous. Because you've asked him to and you haven't recalced it back over you would be at a place in your life where God could use you to accomplish something great in our world because you're the kind of person that God wants to use because you've made yourself usable. Because you're not letting your conscience be your guide. You're letting God be your guide. Now here's what I want you to do. I want everybody to pull out your connection card. I want you to hold it right next to your sermon notes. And on the card and on the notes, the next step or steps you're willing to take. I want you to check them on the card because you're going to turn this in, but I want you to check them on the notes so you can remember what you've committed to. I want everybody to do this. Don't just let somebody else do it for you. You make your own commitments. Here's number one I will pray diligently and will ask God to soften my conscience where it's been calloused. Do you need to do that? you need to ask him, spend some time just begging him to soften your conscience? Number two, I will change at least one area of my life that I know God wants me to change. I mean, you already know, I don't even have to tell you what it is. You already know. Because you've been sitting there wrestling with it for the past 20 minutes. That's how you know. Would you be willing to make that change? Next, I commit from this point forward. Whenever I see a part of my life that doesn't align with what the Bible says, I'll readjust my life to conform to God's standard. Now that is a major commitment. You're basically, you're basically saying, God, I'm giving you my yes before I even know what the question is. God, when you, whatever it is you're going to ask me to do, I'm telling you ahead of time, my answer is going to be yes. That's huge. Would you be willing to do that? Next, I commit to read my Bible daily. Now, look, I mean, I know there's, there, there's going to be a day or two when you're going to miss. I mean, I get that. But would you be willing to make the commitment of, you know what? If it's good enough for the king, it's good enough for me. I'm going to make a commitment to read this Bible daily. Would you make that commitment? Next, I'll take the three-month tithe challenge. If you're not tithing, I mean, and you might be given. There's a lot of people who basically tip. I'm telling you, there's a lot of people who tip. And that, that's a good starting point. But that's not your finishing point. God wants you not to tip. He wants you to tithe. Are you tithing? Would you take the three-month tithe challenge? Do you believe? It gets down to this. Do you really believe God and take him at his word, or don't you? That's what it, gets, that's what it boils down to. Would you take the tithe challenge? I'm going to some money back guarantee. I don't know what else I can do to make it any easier for you. Would you take the three-month tithe challenge? Indicate it here on the card because I'm going to send you some emails to help encourage you along the way. So, you know, make sure your stuff's on the front of the card because I can't email you if I don't have that. So check it here and turn it in. Next, I'll memorize Acts 24, 14, and 16. I believe everything that agrees with the law and what is written in the prophets, so I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. Awesome verse. Next one, I want to become a Christ follower for the first time in my life. Look, if you have never asked Jesus Christ to come into your life to forgive you of everything you've ever done, you will never escape a guilty conscience. Because the truth is, you and I are guilty. And the way we have that guilt removed is we ask Jesus Christ to forgive us for everything we've ever done. I did that when I was 11 years old. My life's never been the same. Have you done that? There's a simple prayer at the bottom of your message notes. If you've never prayed that prayer before, of how to become a Christ follower, pray it right now, please. And make sure you check this box because I'm going to mail you some free stuff in the mail. I also want you to pick up a new believer packet. It's in a little basket just before you walk outside outside of each of these doors. Snag one on your way out. Let me pray for us all as Pat and the worship team come back up. Father, I thank you that um, that you gave us a conscience. Although, God, it was never intended to guide us to what's right and wrong. You've told us what's right and wrong. It's meant to warn us when we violated that standard. So help us not to live in a way where we just try to justify and rationalize what we want, but we would instead readjust our lives to what you want and to what you have said. And so, Lord, I'm asking you in Jesus' name that everybody in this room in whatever area of life we struggle with, adjusting, God, that you would give us the courage to step out in faith and adjust and take you at your word that your way is the best way. So I thank you. So help us, God. Speak to us. And help us conform to your image. And bring us back safely next week. We ask all of this in Jesus' wonderful name. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com or facebook.com slash fellowship. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more. It is available both in the Apple App Store and Android's Google Play.